0: Hello, everyone. This is Parrish Alford with The Daily Journal. I am joined by Tim Dillard, a longtime professional baseball player, some years with the Milwaukee Brewers. And 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 Tim, you kind of turned that into a gig, man. Uh, now you're you're doing uh, some pregame and postgame with the Brewers. So exactly what, what are you doing these days?
1: Exactly. Uh, you could probably tell me better than I. I don't know what I'm doing half the time. Uh, no, but uh, my basic job is pre- and post-game for the Milwaukee Brewers. It's called Brewers Live on Bally Sports Wisconsin. Um, if you have the MLB TV app, there's 11 teams where you can watch the pre- and post-game. The Brewers are one of those teams. So uh, if you ever want to catch the show or look back at the old ones, not sure why you would, but uh, you have that availability and you would see my beard uh, 30 minutes before the game and you'll see my beard 30 minutes after the Brewers game.
0: Why is it eleven teams? Why is it? Why isn't it everybody?
1: That's a good point. I have no idea. Uh, so last year uh, I retired right before the season started, and and transitioned into broadcasting to do the job. And you couldn't find it on MLB TV app. You had to have a thing called Spectrum, which is up here in the Wisconsin area, uh, or you had to have the app if it worked, when it worked. (laughs) Um, So even like my friends and family couldn't even watch it because it was readily unavailable. But somewhere around May, I think MLB worked out a deal with 11 teams that had the same idea and said, we're going to get you on the app. I don't know why all the deals haven't been struck across the board with all 30 teams. I know it has something to do with different teams having um, their own thing. Like uh, the Cubs have marquee sports. So there's a lot of different negotiations going on with that. But um, to me, if you want to grow the game, just make everything available all the time, regardless, you know, no blackout dates and uh, make sure everybody gets all the information they want.
0: I want to come back to that topic with you a little bit. But uh, as a TV media guy now, um, you know, we see the Astros and the Dodgers here as the playoffs get started tomorrow, the one seeds. How good are these one seeds?
1: I mean they're one seeds for a reason, but they're not actually starting tomorrow. They they got five days off the way this new playoff thing works. Um, I don't know if that's an advantage or a disadvantage. It's it's kind of however you you know what your team looks like, but um I don't know. I they're they're the best teams. <laughs> I think I guessed Yankees and Braves today, if I had to guess as far as the World Series, but um there's a reason that all these teams are in the playoffs and ranked the way they are. They have performed over the 162 game season and were voted, I mean they're statistically the best and um that's kind of the way it works. It's it's good in a way because it's not like basketball where you feel like everybody makes playoffs. <laughs> it's pretty exclusive club when you make playoffs for the the Major League Baseball.
0: So um 162 games in the regular season is Major League Baseball considers its place in the in the sports market and and whatnot and trying to appeal to younger fans and all of these things do they need 162 games what what would the Mets say about that do the Mets say you need 162 game regular season maybe not right now
1: Uh, who knows Um, here's the thing though any team can beat any team so if you if you took the best team the highest payroll it's probably the Dodgers or the Yankees and you put them against the the A's or the rays at the bottom, you know, of the payroll. Um and they played a three-game series easily. Some of those teams could beat the best team or the most expensive team. So to to kind of shake it out the spectrum of the payrolls that are like in the, you know, 100 millions or whatever they are down to like the ones that are 50 million to get that whole range of uh the the right way for it to shake out it is time is time a play, you know, across every team, everybody playing each other. That's what I love about going into next year, is the fact that every team's gonna play every team. Next year, we're probably gonna get the best balance of baseball across the board. Some teams that you know thrive in the environment now will probably suffer a little bit. And the teams that have been stifled in that way uh, could possibly see some resurgence.
0: With the Astros and Dodgers as these one seeds, man, I I go back to that 2017 World Series and and <laughs> sign stealing as, as so many people will have. Do you think have MLB fans forgiven the Astros? Have they moved on from that?
1: I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely none of the you know players that were on the receiving end. If you look at what was it Clayton Kershaw's ERA on the road uh, it, it versus the Astros uh, compared to what he was doing at home. Um, It was like a stark contrast. They were like, well, there was even a stigma. Well, Clayton Kershaw can't pitch against certain teams uh, in the playoffs at at their at their parks. And then they found out about some of the sign stealing stuff. And you're thinking, oh, wow. Like, so there's definitely a measurable difference. Uh, I think Astros fans have probably forgiven the Astros. But (laughs) on a whole, uh, I mean, that's a tough thing to swallow. Like nobody. Um, you know, some managers across the board got um, suspensions or whatever, but the players, as far as anybody knows, they haven't suffered anything other than maybe some booze on the road.
0: Um, what do you think – you mentioned the, the season next year. What do you think about MLB getting away from the shift?
1: Um, I, I applaud the players that go against the shift. You You look at McNeil with the Mets, Freeman with the Dodgers now, And they're having great years. And why is that? Because they're lefties and their shift is there. Uh, They chose not to just hit the ball as hard as they could right into the shift. Across the board, high percentage, all the way around, lefties. The the, the, uh, shift affects the left-handed hitter more than anything else, um, hands down. And these guys are just absolutely crushing baseballs. And it's right to where someone's playing because they have enough analytics to know right where a majority of their baseballs are being hit. And that takes away hits, obviously, from the batter. So what do you do to kind of counteract that? Well, McNeil and Freeman are prime examples of guys that are going, hey, guess what? Left field's open. Hey, guess what? Center field's open. And these guys are choking up on the bat, putting good at bats together and getting their hits in. They're batting over 300. And I think McNeil uh, got the batting title for the NL. Um, so I applaud the guys that said, you know what, we don't care if there's a shift or not. I mean, I'm pretty sure they shifted on Ted Williams, right? Like all you have to do is just, if you can hit it where no one is standing and it doesn't matter if it's, you know, 50 miles an hour off the bat or 120, it doesn't matter if there's no one standing there. So I applaud those guys, but the, again, the huge majority are just going, well, I hit the ball really hard. Someone was just standing there. Those guys that refuse to change uh, their batting average is going to go up next year if the if the shift, the rules they bring into account uh, do come to pass because it's going to open up more field, especially for the left-handed batters.
0: All right, Tim, let's talk about your baseball life a little bit, man. Uh, correct sure. me if I'm wrong here, but 18 years in professional baseball, most of those with the Brewers. Before that, uh, National Junior College Player of the Year at huh? ICC. How would you describe your, your relationship with the Brewers? They they drafted you twice, most of your years in that organization. Was there, was there much contact with uh, the Brewers while you were at ICC? Were they kind of charting you as you went along?
1: Uh, not a lot of communication. I mean, I didn't have a cell phone or anything. It seems weird in this day and age. You can communicate with whatever, whenever. Um, I, when I got drafted first as a catcher at a high school, Uh, It was 2001. The Brewers drafted me in the 15th round. I basically got a phone call and they said, we drafted you in the 15th round. I said, "Okay, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) I went to junior college for a year, but I had injured my shoulder. It's one of the reasons I didn't sign in the first place with the Brewers. I'd injured my left shoulder, my swinging arm, (laughs) Um, not my throwing arm, thankfully. And um, yeah, they drafted me the second year, even though I didn't play that great at Itawamba. And uh, they drafted me as a catcher. I got a phone call. I didn't even know the draft was that day. I got a phone call at my parents' house. And they were like, uh, hey, this is Larry Aaron with the Brewers. And I'm thinking, Larry Aaron? it's uh, It was Hank Aaron's son. Yeah, was a scout for the Brewers. And he said, we drafted you in the 34th round as a catcher. And I was like, who is this? He's like, <laughs> I'm with the Brewers. I was like, oh, OK, cool. Yeah, so I got drafted again. Barely even knew what was going on. Um, and then they signed me right before the 2003 draft as a pitcher. So if you go back what's today 2022, yeah, I have a relationship with them uh going back you know over 20 years. So that that's kind of I guess what led to my job being able to broadcast for them is because I just I've built that relationship over over time and you know thankfully I haven't screwed it up yet.
0: <laughs> How hard was it to remake yourself as a hitter? And, and then a pitcher. I mean, a lot of guys I would imagine aren't able to do that, but uh, you you were.
1: I was a catcher my whole life. That's all I ever wanted to be. My dad told me when I was really young that the fastest way to the big leagues is a switch hitting catcher. Um, and I still think that's true. You can switch it and you can catch a little bit. Um, sky's the limit. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to play in the big leagues. I thought this was my route. And then the Brewers came in and they said, you know what? You're a good catcher but we think you're a better pitcher and you'll have a longer career as a pitcher. And I was like, y'all are crazy. Uh, but after 18 years, I'm like, well, maybe they, maybe they were onto something. (laughs) Uh, and I had to, I had to kind of, you know, I was was mainly catching in high school and college and I would pitch on the side. Like that was always a side gig to me. Um, but once I became a full-time pitcher, that was, there was a lot to dive into you get into pro ball. You start finding out about, um, how you hold your pitches, why you throw your pitches, uh, what the spins look like, what you're trying to do at the plate against a lefty, a righty, you got to learn the situations kind of backwards, right? As a catcher, you're kind of look at the situation. You're the only guy facing uh, that way on the field. The same as the batter, you're seeing everything. As a pitcher, you get your back turned to the field. Uh, you, you know, you you don't really get to see the whole picture a lot of times. So I relearned that, and then after seven years of throwing over the top, I I actually switched and went sidearm for my last eleven seasons. Um, and then I had to kind of relearn pitching again. <laughs> uh, philosophies on lefties, philosophies on righties, um, had to relearn all new pitches. I think the the lesson I learned or looking back on all of that kind of stuff is you have to be able to be adaptable. Um, if a prime example, you look at some of these pitchers that are, you know, mainstays in baseball, uh, they make adjustments. They make adjustments right down to the last start. You know, they don't care. They want a better grip on their slider. They're never satisfied. They're always improving. Uh, You always have to be willing to adjust. And I think the great ones do. Luckily, I I was never sidelined due to injury. I just didn't stick in the big leagues because, I mean, I just wasn't good enough.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Do you think your uh, ability to adapt, really to understand the need to adapt and think that way, uh, how much of this has to do with growing up with a, a big league dad?
1: absolutely uh just you want to I, I always look at my career now as a swiss army army knife like you just you know you may did the, the team may need a corkscrew one day maybe they need a bottle opener i don't know like <laughs> there's so many things that you can be You could be a toothpick um and if you need a bullpen catcher that day i've caught in the bullpen i've been the bat boy um there's not much i wouldn't do i'd play the outfield if they let me i was a pinch hitter at times uh maybe even a pinch runner a few times in the minor leagues um just whatever you can do to help the club. That's what I learned from my dad who had played in the big leagues. And by the time I came along, he was coaching in the minor leagues. It's just be available. His big thing was just stay out of the training room, keep yourself healthy and go out there and help your team win, whatever that looks like that day. You know, there's times I had to learn that I wanted to be on the mound, uh, but I wasn't the right guy for the right situation. So you have to sit there and be okay with that. Say, okay, well, my time's coming. I need to I need to cheer on these guys or help my teammates in some way. If I see something, I can help them um, and just be there for them. So it's a lot of times, you know, your biggest role is not what you're doing on the field. It's a lot of the stuff you're doing maybe off the field or in the clubhouse.
0: Tim, I grew up in Denham Springs, Louisiana, and I remember being a kid in the early eighties, very excited when we got cable TV. Okay. (laughs) Cable TV came in, and all of a sudden there was like baseball more than I'd ever seen it. And there was this mm-hmm. guy, you know, hitting for the, the, uh, the Cubs. And, and, and I think he probably could, would have done okay against the shift, uh, Steve Dillard. And then 10 years later, I'm interviewing Steve Dillard and he's wearing this red and white uniform for the Tupelo tornado in, in their brief existence. Yeah. But <laughs> I thought that was, that was pretty cool. So I know you did learn a lot, uh, from your dad growing up in, in that kind of, uh, that kind of household there. Um, we were talking about this a little bit earlier but um do you think is major league baseball are they doing enough to reach the younger fans i know that's been a topic i know that's that's been discussed do you sense that uh that young people want to see baseball
1: i think so i think they've blown it out of proportion a little bit um it's easy to sit in new york and and you know for the mlb executives to kind of just you know, we need to do better. We need to do better. But if go to a game, go to a game. There's kids everywhere. They have gloves. I meet them on the concourse all the time at, at games, walking around. And, you know, the parents are like, my kid is a pitcher too. Or, you know, my kid plays left field. Like I, I think having access to it helps. You're talking about getting cable and finally watching. I, I look back. We didn't have a lot of channels. We had WGN. I get to watch the Cubs and listen to Harry Carey. Hi, everybody. Um, uh, <laughs> In TBS, you know, watching the Braves, that was a big thing. Just having baseball available is the biggest thing. The worst thing you can do is like the blackout dates, um, that kind of stuff, like make everything streamable, make it there, because that's what's going to build the next players are the kids that are watching at home like me that are going, I want to be there. But I think the biggest thing MLB could do is is highlight these players, highlight the players, make everyone jealous. Of them and the fact that they get to stand on the field and they get to hang out in the dugout all the time because that is a blast. Out of everything in this game, hanging out in the clubhouse, being in the dugout, the bullpen on the field is by far the coolest thing there is to be part of that family. And I think MLB has not highlighted that enough to see how much fun those guys have and how close they are. You know, we see the names, we see the numbers on the back of the jerseys, the home runs, the highlights. What we don't see is how close some of these guys are. They're you know, there's at each other's weddings and, you know, they're, they're having kids together. They're raising kids together. There's advice going on all the time. And now with cell phones and uh, the way it's easy to get around it, I mean, these guys hang out with each other in the off season. So you're not really getting to see the full picture. A lot of times that MLB could easily put together and make that happen
0: are you doing anything with that dim tillered website these days? And I know you're doing podcasts as part of your brewers responsibilities.
1: Yeah. Now yeah, we're, uh, we just filmed our end of the season brewers unfiltered podcast. You can check that out. Uh, base if you're, if you're a big brewers fan, that'll be interesting for you. Uh, and we'll do that through the off season, but no, as far as my website, I forgot. I had it till you brought it up. I, I really got into it for a while and, uh, I just hadn't had time to kind of dig into it and post videos and post stuff. I I laid the bones there. I just haven't put on all the meat as, as it were, but it's something I want to do. I'm very creative. I think baseball um, doesn't really let you as a player be creative. I think now more than ever guys get to wear more flair. I was a pitcher. I didn't get to wear wristbands and, and get eye black, you know, and just look really cool. Have batting gloves hanging out of the back of your pocket. I wanted to be that guy. I never was. Um, (laughs) But like that kind of stuff right there is these guys get to kind of show who they are as a person. And um, anyway, I like to think that I in, you know put out good content and I want to share that and I have all these ideas and eventually I'll get to them. So the website, that's what it's for. It's eventually uh, where I can put more and more ideas out there and just I don't know, just show how much fun baseball is and, and how much fun life can be when uh, when you're being who you are and that's all you know how to be.
0: Well, and and I think you did that. I think you hit on it, and uh, you, you showed the humanity in the clubhouse and the and the camaraderie, and you know, in some of those videos that I clicked on there. And and again, you you have to be of a you you had all the right factors there, man. You have to be of a certain age. You have to be comfortable in your skin. All of those things. You're right. Uh, you don't just walk into a, a new environment and say, "Hey, guys, come do this video with me." Sure. Uh, so. All, all of that, but uh, lots of good stuff there uh, at the website. Uh, okay, the Brewers, that's your team. Uh, how yep. close were they to making the playoffs? I know they were there. What does this team need to get over the hump and, and, and be one of these teams competing for a World Series title?
1: I think the only – I mean, they had a lot of injuries, especially the starting pitching uh, that hurt them. But I think it's, it's just being strategic. Uh, they played 51 one-run games. And I think they could, I think they were 28 and 23. That's a lot of one run games to lose 23. So out of 51, you, you, they have to do better in situational awareness. And I'm not going to say they need to bunt every time it's, you know, it's not always that it could be a sack fly. It could be just hitting the ball to the right side of the infield to get a guy over. Um, but for whatever reason, in those moments when other teams were willing to move the runner or, you know, do a hit and run or a, some sort of sack bunt, uh, the Brewers didn't. They just simply didn't. Their philosophy was, you know, we're gonna we're gonna swing for the fence a little bit. They were third in home runs, so they completed that goal. Uh, but I think going forward, especially especially now, I think when they're banning the shift, you're gonna have a lot more stri- strategic um, blueprints that are gonna be out there that you just have not seen across the board. The best teams do it. Look at the Dodgers. They're, I mean, they re- get, they get a man on third base, they get them in every time. Uh, the Braves do it. Um, the Astros are are some of the most relentless batters that are out there. They'll work counts. They'll make you work. They'll get the starting pitcher out of there. Um, and it has to do a lot with the manager. And I think Craig Council, probably if he needs to do one thing, it's basically just let these guys know what to do and say an extra inning ball game. You got Manfred's ghost runner on second base till they change another rule. Um, and you need to know what to do if you're on the road or at home. In the situation, if it's the 10th or the 11th, if you're tied, if you're up by one, if you're down by one, whatever that looks like, you need to know what to do. And I've watched over and over again, uh, players going to the plate and the runner going to second and not knowing what to do. Uh, and to me, that's not really a player issue. Uh, it's, it's a leadership issue. And it's a real easy fix, honestly.
0: So after being a player and a teammate your entire career, have you had that moment uh, as a media member? Where you walk into the clubhouse and and you you wonder as you approach somebody, oh, I, I wonder if if he heard what I said or how did he react to what I said or, you know, or he probably didn't hear it but somebody showed it to him, you know, you know what's uh, what's what's that been like for you that transition?
1: It, it's really weird, honestly. Um, I told the the my bosses at Bally Sports Wisconsin. I said. Cause I never brought me to spring training after I got the job and I got, I got it real late in the spring training last year. And they didn't take me to spring training to let me like meet the guys, right? Like spring training is where you kind of lay that, that relationship, that foundation, because once the season gets ramped up, um, you know, guys, guys don't really want to be bothered, <laughs> honestly. And so I kind of, during the seasons the last two years, I just stayed out of the clubhouse. Um, I think I went in there twice, uh, once a year just for whatever reason, but, um, I didn't want to be in there. That's their space. And they have to deal with enough media and press. I don't want them to be like, Oh, there's Tim, another guy. That's, you know, I would rather meet them in the dugout or on the field or even on a road trip, you know, and I got to meet a lot of these guys and get to know them on the planes and on the buses, on the few trips that I went on to kind of, to kind of let them know that, you know, I'm on their side. I know how hard this game is. And just because they fail, doesn't mean they're not good. It just means they didn't get it done in the moment. And calling it that's not really dogging a player. Um, I'll never fault a player ever for hustling. You know, that's that's just not how it works. (laughs) And I'm not really a negative guy. And just because the team loses, you know, eight to two, doesn't mean they didn't do a lot of things well. And then obviously talk about the other team and what they did well. They took advantage. I'm never going to be negative about a player. Uh, It's going to be, I've had some teammates that, um, have been really tough teammates and they're few and far between Between, and they don't last very long. So guys that get to the big leagues, um, there's not that many guys that are just rotten apples. They're all good dudes. They know what they're doing. And you can see that you can you can see the way they interact with each other um, and just get a sense of who they are as a person. So I, I'm no, I haven't had any moments where people are like, hey, man, why don't you yell? You know, why don't you call me out? I'll call them out if it's if in a good way you know, hey, this guy probably, if he had to do it over again, would have went first to third on that ball, you know, stuff like that. Uh, but, no, I would never – I'm not going to dog any players ever.
0: <laughs> you mentioned the Yankees and the Braves. Is there yeah. another dark horse in these playoffs that uh, fans need to pay attention to?
1: Um, well, I think it's different, too. Some of these teams got to wait five days. So, mm-hmm. you know, for me, picking the Yankees and the Braves, they're waiting five days to see what happens. Um Maybe the Cardinals. I don't really want to say the Cardinals at all, uh, but maybe, maybe the Mariners. I feel like the Mariners have a really good team. Um, what's the young guy? Julio Rodriguez. That guy's on another level. If his back is good, I think he'll be real good. Um, anyway, I, I, think, I think some of the dark horses, you'd have to go with the people that are playing right out of the gate. Like No one's playing today, but whoever plays tomorrow uh, to start the series, you got to think that one of those teams with home field advantage Um, also has an advantage by, by playing, you know, you don't play for five days as a pitcher. If you don't face live, you know, live batters in five days, that's a tough gig. Uh, You want to be able to be out there a lot. Uh, Waiting five days is not good for anybody. So I don't know. I I think honestly uh, the safe bet for me was I was going Yankees and Braves, but the more realistic one is probably going to be the teams that are playing uh, the most
0: folks that'll wrap us up for Tim Dillard. I am Parrish Alford. Thanks for being with us.